Welcome to the Main Deck Podcast. If you like games like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Super, Digimon, Flesh and Blood, and many, many more, you're in the right place. For all of our TCG news and content and links to all of our socials, visit www.maindeck.games. Now, on to the show. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Main Deck Podcast. This is episode number 16. I'm your host, Dan Green, and today I'm joined by Mike Piper. Mike, say hi to everyone. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? It has been a while, Mike. So we Last time we had you was the sort of the last, um, in the middle of the pandemic uh, yeah. podcast, <laughs> I believe. And um, it's just been, it's taken a while for us to get you back in here, but we're really excited because topic of today's discussion is going to be the state of... Um, what I think is your favorite game, Dragon Ball Super, is still your favorite? or Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say both, like, Digimon's up there a little bit. Like, I do play both of them. Uh, both of them are really fun games. But I'd say Dragon Ball Super, Digimon. Dragon Ball Super a little higher, though, obviously. Big fan of the Bandai games in general, though, right, Mike? Yeah, love love the lo- love how they run them, for sure. Awesome. Um, so just like usual with our new kind of podcast format, we're going to start by just doing a little bit of banter here because it's Mike, it's been so long. I want to hear about all the games you've been playing. How, what, what have you been enjoying since we last talked? So, uh, still playing Dragon Ball Super, uh, still doing it competitively. Uh, you and I, we were down there for Gen Con and played in a bunch of tournaments. Uh, did get my national invite. Uh, unfortunately couldn't go out to nationals. It was out in California. Um, so I kind of wish I would have got that, but I did get the prize support, which was really cool. So I've been doing a lot of the Dragon Ball Super card game competitively, and then really starting to get into the Digimon card game competitively, too. Like, it's just really fun. Both games, just really fun, easy to play, and uh, a lot of people think the game's expensive, and it's really easy to get into both games. So been doing a lot of that, and uh, work, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. A uh, lot of work. Um, uh, just got a promotion, so that was really cool. So I was pretty excited about that. All right, congratulations. Well, thank you. This is the and, congratulating Mike on his promotion podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, thanks. And uh, the nice thing is, is I do work from home, which um, which is really nice. So, yeah, this is kind of like my home away from home, my office, and all that good fun setup. So your home, your home in your home. You mean home in my home, essentially? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, so. So, so Mike, you, do you, I mean, one thing that I noticed that Bandai did over the course of the pandemic is they, they've pretty quickly latched onto online events and have been running tons of them. Have have you been playing a lot of those? Absolutely. Anytime I have the chance to, because uh, just the price support alone, even if you don't even place or anything, just the price support alone is value added. Like I, you'll pay $30 for $30 for an entry fee. And literally can turn around and sell the cards for like over 200. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just been value added. And so, yeah, I have been doing uh, a lot, a lot of the online events and a lot of these uh, um, tournament organizers are doing a really, really great job um, for online. And the really nice thing is they're learning things now that they're doing online that they're now doing in physical events, which is really cool. Like, oh. uh, can you give me an example of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So like the the round structure, like with RK9 Labs, like so now, you know, back in the day when we, you know, um 
would score when we played the score or <clears throat> not score, but Panini Dragon Ball Z card game. Sure. Like, you know how they, the, they would print out a piece of paper and they would tape it up on the wall. Now yeah. it's literally all done through an app. Like it's mm, yeah. all done through an app. Like, Oh, Hey, here's the round scan your QR code. Um, and they're even implementing it when it comes to checking into tournaments. Like it's just, your deck list can all be done online now. Like you literally can get into the event. You can even check in online where you don't even have to stand in line, do all that. Like you can just get to the event and then it runs super smooth. So they're learning a lot from these online events um, that they're actually implementing in the offline events. And they're becoming a lot more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, Convenient? Be convenient and they're very, it's just, they're quick. Smooth. They're a lot yeah, smooth turnarounds. <clears throat> lots, mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot smoother for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's actually, I mean, that's not exclusive to like Bandai's games too, but like yeah. um, Magic introduced their companion app uh, basically right before or around the pandemic. It kind of started, they kind of started to use it in everything. Um, and their companion app is now how you register for um, any event you're in. You just pop open oh. the app, type in an event code, and it puts you right in. So, um, that kind of stuff is really, uh, changing, um, definitely making things uh, a little smoother for events in general for TCGs. Um, and I think, I think you're right that like some of that is the result of, um, people a, a lot like we found in, in work situations for everybody, a lot of, a lot of like, especially office workers type people have, uh, now have jobs that can be like a little more flexible, sometimes a little more work from home because the pandemic kind of forced everybody to get the stuff in place to make that work. Yeah. Innovate. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and we found that, um, I think in the TCG space as well, um, because of being forced to go like online and figure out how to do things that way, uh, some innovations are like creeping back into, um, how TCG paper events are going to be run in the future. Now that we're finally getting to the point where, um, those are becoming more prevalent. Yeah. Um, so, so my good part. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, so Mike, the, uh, have you been playing paper as well then? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, actually got my deck right here. Um, still doing the physical events, doing them local, um, actually getting, uh, Dragon Ball Super, um, started back up here locally. Uh, there's that's a one lot thing of, that's, it's been a struggle for, I think a lot of places to get back. I mean, it depends on where you are. I've, I saw like some places were running paper tournaments with, you know, like fully masked people or whatever, like a year, a year and a half ago, even, um, they just couldn't wait to get uh, back in and, you know, stores needed the help. Um, but I think in our local area, um, it's taken a little longer for people to kind of get going. Uh, yeah. That again. Yeah. For sure. It's taken, it's taken a little bit. Um, one of the things that we're finding, especially uh, even in our local area, is that we're running into three types of uh, people playing the card game. You have your players, which, you know, those, they buy the card game. They know, they know how to play the game. Then you have your collectors that are literally just buying the cards for the artwork. They don't even know how to play the game, which those are the type of people we're trying to pull in. We're trying to pull in the collectors to learn how to play the game, you know, the cards that they buy. And then finally you have investors, and these are the people that are just buying the cards and they're literally, you know, I'm, I'm going to hunt for X card so I can turn around, get it graded, and sell it on eBay. So those types... 
probably not going to be playing the game too often. Yeah. Um, and they can actually um, sometimes actually raise the price of the card game, which is kind of a bummer. But um, at least they're buying <laughs> product, I guess. <laughs> at least they're buying product. It's a it's a double edged sword. This is something that we've seen a, another just like impact from the pandemic on the wider TCG space was that there was a a period of time for a number of reasons, um, which I I can't remember if we've like like glazed over in a podcast yet. But um, there's a period of time right in the middle of like late 2020, early 2021, when uh, Pokemon cards began to skyrocket. Magic Reserve List cards began to skyrocket. I think DBS cards got some yep. jump from that too and everything. And, um, you know, partially due to um, an influx of sort of like just spending money for people as everyone, like a lot of people were um, getting the uh, government money basically. Um, yeah. From, and, and, and dropping this stuff. But then the other thing that I think some people, a lot of people just blame it on that. But what people miss is that there was a huge um, sort of splash from the uh, game stonks situation, the whole like Wall Street yeah. bets, GameStop, people started trying to like flip money into things, and then and then also the crypto market and NFTs started to gain popularity as ways for people to just try and flip some easy money. And uh, a number of people just went and said, "Hey, what about these Pokemon cards and stuff?" And then right. it just started to like it. It kind of caught on like wildfire and started to really raise prices. And now we've seen things settling down a little bit. Um, yeah. since then, which is, which is good because yeah, like we're saying it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because like, it's really great when, um, people then look at these new products coming out for actual ongoing card games, um, and see, wow. Okay. Like maybe this will have some value. I'm going to invest some in this, buy some product. Um, and that, um, makes, you know, it makes everybody's product have a little more value. Um, oh, exactly. when, you, when you purchase it, but on the flip side, if you're just trying to buy like competitive cards and those are the ones that are being affected, um, for, you know, for whatever reason, buy that, then it's more expensive to like buy a deck just to play. Exactly. And, and I, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. I totally benefited from the rise in prices. I mean, you and I were both <laughs> at Gen Con. I mean, you're darn right. I took advantage of it and, uh, oh yeah, I was able to really get, you know, uh, sold my cards for over $10,000 and then able to get and focus on the decks that I really like and the cards that I really wanted to collect it or collect. And then I could get into multiple card games. So don't get me wrong. I definitely took advantage of that. And I like that because especially in the dragon ball super card game. Well, I don't know. I know they do this in Digimon and I'm pretty sure they do it in other card games. They actually will bring out support for older cards. And then, you know, once, you know, you go on even TCG player, uh, the recent, best example is dragon ball super release support for uh gt um red gt saiyan cards you know the goku trunks and pan and um <clears throat> they released support for that <clears throat> excuse me and when they released that support all of a sudden all those older cards from um we're talking set two yeah um, set three skyrocketed you go on tcg player i think they literally went from like 50 cents some of them are going up to five six dollars even more i mean cards that were just in your binder just sitting there collecting dust are now worth five six bucks yeah so, yeah which which isn't like a lot of money per card but if you just happen to like be sitting on a bunch of play sets of those it's 
it's it becomes like real money that you can trade or sell to get um, new stuff if you want, or um, just like maybe you're just excited to play that archetype. But that definitely is something that happens a lot in um, arc- card games that that develop archetypally. You know, it's like some games are like Magic the Gathering where um, they'll come up with a new set. It's basically its own set of things. They try to do like very light crossover with themes from other sets. Yeah. Um, but it's really just focused on, you know, you can play these cards in anything and maybe you'll come up with a creative way to use them with old stuff, or maybe you're just going to kind of focus on the new stuff. Um, but then other card games like Yu-Gi-Oh and Dragon Ball Super, um, Yu-Gi-Oh is like, I think the big one for a lot of people, uh, that recognize this because Yu-Gi-Oh is a game where a new archetype will come up. That's the deck. It's like you, you're not going to put your like cyber dragons in your virtual world stuff. It, they just don't, there's no like crossover there. You're much better off just putting, here's the virtual world archetype. I'm going to put all the virtual world cards in and then that's my deck. Um, yeah. And, and Dragon Ball Super is not exactly that. Dragon Ball Super yeah. has more flexibility, but um, a lot of their design is really focused on, like you said, like red GT stuff, like your the yep. GT stuff with red, that's the stuff you want to play. Um, and, uh, every game that does archetypal design like that, um, generally will start to throw some bones to old archetypes as they go on. Even Yu-Gi-Oh's put like, here's some dark magician support here, you know, yep. he's, yeah. whatever. And just to like, just to give you some cool new stuff to play with, to, to make the old cards good. The question is always like, how good are they at doing that? Right. Yeah. Because like, it's, sometimes it's, not very successful. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it can be really, because it can be really tough to um, take an old archetype and put in a couple new cards because that old archetype isn't played because it got power crept out generally. It just, the yeah. game has moved on from that level of power. There's some other stuff to do. And there's no way to make like 10 old cards be as strong as 12 new cards with just two new cards It without like completely blowing things out, being like, okay, but now these two new cards are like way stronger than everything else just to yeah. like try and carry the 10 old cards. The one thing that I will say that they do do well, um, and Dragon Ball Super does that, the card game, they do that extremely well. The perfect example, and uh, I did deck profiles of, of the deck, Set 7 Zamasu. And Those are some of our most popular deck profiles still of all time. They're really cool decks, and and yeah, it's, yeah. We need we need you to come back to them at some point. By the way, oh man. yeah, nope, nope. I plan on it. I plan on it. I'm actually okay. testing a few of them. So, uh, coming coming weeks. But they literally they added one card. They literally added one card in this most recent set that changed like set seven or Zamasu in general, and that's the uh, the five drop Zamasu. Um, where it's indes- undes- you know, indestructible blocker has all these really neat. <laughs> so awesome many things. keywords on it, Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so this One is for, for our audio listeners. There's a in our video version, you can see the card on Mike's screen. It's <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Okay, explain why is this card so good? So the reason why this card's so good is number one, um, it's a five drop, which goes right into the nine drop uh, for um, uh, tragedy overground. Uh, then. Um, Normally, when you play the nine drop, like normally you'll go against like a blue deck, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, here trunks, put that back in your hand. You've tapped all your energy. You're done." Well, with this nine drop or this five drop, it's an indestructible blocker. So it's a blocker every turn that can't be destroyed unless you go against a red deck and it negs it, but otherwise can't be destroyed. And then it has the and I'm gonna mispronounce the name, 
Yes. Aegis? Aegis? Aegis. How do I? Aegis. Aegis. Yeah, like pretend it's a J and then you're all okay. good. Aegis. So it has Aegis where you can discard a blue-yellow card from your hand, untap two energy, and then you get to tap one of their non-leader cards, and that includes their energy. So you could tap one of their energy, you could tap one of their unisons, you could tap a battle card. So essentially, that one five drops taking care of two potential attackers mm. every turn, and it can't be destroyed, and it can go right into your nine drop. And you can just go, oh, hey, I pay the four energy. Oh, you're going to trunks my nine drop? Okay, at least I still have an indestructible blocker, and I'm going to have two open energy next turn. So, so that... I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I remember the thing that you loved about your Zamasu deck and the thing that I think like a lot of people questioned until they saw it in action was that you ran um, max card count for a while. I don't know if you ever adjusted that back down. And it was all about just making the opponent uh, d defending entirely, basically making the opponent have to deal like 100 life to you to kill you. Yeah. Um, and and having blockers and all this kind of stuff. So that sounds like it fits exactly into that strategy. Yeah, and that's a, and that would be the set two Zamasu deck. That's the one where you know you can continue taking the life. I do right. still play that one, um, but in the set seven Zamasu, I okay. do run about fifty five, which is a healthy amount, especially when you run into mill decks because sure. there are mill decks that are around. So I do run about 54, 55, and I use a probability program, and the probability of going from 54 to 55, or like 50 to 55, isn't, I mean, it obviously it adjusts the probability of you getting certain cards, but not by too terribly much. Like, the benefit outweighs the negative, so that's why I'll run 55. Uh, won't go higher than that, though. This is going to be a, just a, a mini aside that I think is kind of interesting, and maybe it should just be a full podcast at some point. But sure. um, I think there's one thing that I, I've learned in my in my just exploring a lot of different card games is that there um, the there's there's a mentality, especially from Magic players, which is I, I'm not going to say is wrong at all that you should always run the lowest amount of cards in your deck because of that probability change. It's impossible to deny that there is a probability adjustment right? Of drawing, like you have some cards in your deck that are going to be the best in any given situation. The more cards in your deck, the less likely, even if it's a small amount, you are of drawing the card you actually need in a situation. The thing that a lot of people don't take into account, and this applies to Dragon Ball Super, this applies hugely to um, universes slash My Hero Academia as well. Um, the more cards you work with, the more cards you get to draw, Basically, in a, in a particular card game or a particular deck, but especially in just like some card games are just in universes, it's not unusual to draw through your whole deck. It happens like yeah. um, in, in like not even a deck that is intending to do that. Um, the more uh, and you don't lose in that game when that happens, by the way. <laughs> um, um, but the more likely that is uh, or the more likely it is to just draw a lot of cards, given the, just the basic rule set of the game, the smaller the impact is of those like adjustments um to, to making a card less likely to get by having a bigger deck size which is why you see a lot of competitive universes decks like competitive not just like competitive like oh you know you could play that in a tournament but like literally winning worlds with this deck list um these decks are going to like 70 72 80 cards like whatever universes was a uh, standard is a 60 card format and they're you know they're just like throwing 
Uh, I've seen like 90. I've seen, I've seen some like, I think close to 100 <laughs> card deck lists of people just running. And they adjust the probabilities of, of card types in the deck, right? They're like, okay, well, if I'm playing 70 cards, I need to have a few more attacks or something to make sure that I'm still seeing them at this ratio of attacks to non-attacks and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what We're- they just decide is that there's all these like key cards. They're like, okay, but I have to be able to get this card for this matchup. And I need to have, and I need to have these, um, this particular set of foundations just to deal with like this scenario or something. And if you can't fit everything in a sixty card deck, but you're drawing like six or seven cards a turn, it you just it doesn't really hurt you that much to uh, throw exactly. the extra cards in. Um, and then it'll save you matches instead. Yeah, and it's funny that you actually mention that because one of the most recent changes, and I don't know um, if you've been. Keeping like if you heard about it, but they actually tested this at the DBS Fest events. Side decks, um, which mm-hmm. were they were in the game, but one of the really awesome things they implemented. I'm a huge fan of it. I know some people aren't. It's controversial, but I'm a huge fan, and I think they're going to move forward with it. Is best of one side deck, which changes the game big time. Because how it works, because unlike some other games, like how it works is at the beginning of the game, you see your opponent's leader card. So in Dragon Ball Super, like you have, you know, for those that don't, you know, there's a leader card that you start out the game with that comes out into play. So when both opponents or when both opponents show their leader card, you can go, oh, okay, I'm going against a blue deck. Okay, I'm gonna go through my uh, I'm gonna go through my side deck, which is 15 cards, and I'm gonna go. Okay, I'm gonna put this this and this in here. Oh, I'm going against a green hand destruction deck. I need to put in some ways to get around hand destruction, which really changed the whole dynamic of the game because a lot of times in online tournaments or even now when you go into the paper tournaments, they're doing best of one. Like, a lot of times, like, when you were building your deck, you had to put a lot of those kind of almost silver bullet type cards against certain archetypes. Now, now that you have that side deck, you can really focus on, like, in a best of one, you can really focus on, okay, this is what I want my deck to do, but I'm going to have my side deck. It's like, okay, if I'm going to go against green, I can do this. If I go against blue, I have this. If I have this. So, um that makes it really, really like it changes the whole dynamic of how you make your deck now, which I really, really like. So when when they implemented that in Dragon Ball Z score, which was the so we're going back in time to the 2000s now. But back then that had the same thing where you sat down, you saw your opponent's um, character, their, their MP stack, you saw their mastery. And then they added these things called sensei decks, which would um, they made it complicated, as was the way of doing 2000s card games. So you had like a sensei card that had its own abilities and then it had a variable size of its sensei deck. But then at the start of the game, when you put those cards in from your sensei deck, you then randomly exiled, basically banished or whatever cards from your deck um, that you didn't get to choose from. So in Super, do you get to pick the cards at the start of the game as well? Yep, Super, you get to pick the cards. Okay. Yep, And just like the Piccolo Sensei from the... uh, the Which, score card game. Yeah, I love uh, That was one of my favorite senseis. That, well, of that course, because... It, so the Piccolo Sensei let you actually choose the cards that you got rid of. And uh, as it turns out, outside of decks that desperately wanted an effect to, like, 
search for an ally at will or something. Um, you just wanted to run the Piccolo Sensei if you had any sort of like combo or were playing Dragon Ball Victory or something because you could not risk just ban- randomly banishing cards. Um, and so it was a pretty popular ultra rare <laughs> to put. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, okay, Mike, we've, we've already been jumping a lot into Dragon Ball Super, which is great. I just want to hit a couple of things quick about what I've been playing for anyone curious, and then we're going to let you just kind of go wild telling us about um, everything you love about Dragon Ball Super right now, and the, the state of Dragon Ball Super. So um, just before we jump into that, um, I have been, uh, actually, I've been working, I, I haven't been getting, getting to play a lot because I've been working very hard on some upgrades for our Discord server. So I do have to give a shout out um, to our Discord server and, and uh, let everyone know there's a link down in the description to join here. Um, if, if, let's see, I'm thinking about when this is releasing. When this releases, our first automated league should be live. Um, which is something I've been working very hard on. I've, I've been developing uh, a bot um, who is named May after our mascot. And May is going to run um, all of the sort of uh, busy work of running a league for us. So um, our leagues are going to be, basically they're going to be a, a mostly casual um, and kind of at your own time way of playing online with people. So the one thing that I um, am not huge, no, so you love doing this. You love playing the online events. That's great. Yep. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that style of play because I have a hard time being at home and devoting my whole day to that um, when there's all sorts of other stuff at home, your family and everything that uh, that can kind of come in the way of that. Um, so I have a better time just going out and, and I'm not, and it, you know, I don't have the social aspect. That's what I really crave about TCGs in general. I'm a big social person. I love to be no. at the event, focused on the event, that kind of stuff. Um, but what I don't mind doing is just sitting down and playing a game with someone, you know, a few times a week and sit down and play an online game. So the idea with these leagues is that you are going to get to, you join your discord server, you find an ongoing league that you want to play in and you just tell May you want to join it. And she signs you up because she's really helpful like that. And then you um, just use our uh, role system where you can react to be, um, to be able to uh, be pinged whenever someone's looking for a game and ping others who have that role to find people who want to play games. You ping and find a game to play. You sit down and you, it, you know, depending on the league, it'll either be like webcam play. It'll be tabletop simulator on tap, just kind of depending on the game or whatever. Um, Octagon perhaps for Dragon Ball Z uh, fancy, if we want to do that at some point. Um, and uh, you play the game and then you just go to May and one of you, either the winner or the loser reports the game to May. It all gets tracked in the back end, And then the leagues will run for a number of weeks where you get to play X games a week against unique opponents each week. Um, you can play the same opponent, you know, I could play you Mike week one and then I could play you again week two, but I can't just sit here and play three games against you or three matches against you and record them all. Um, so it encourages just kind of playing your games, swap your decks at any time, uh, just experiment with stuff. And, um, the prizing for these, they're, they're currently, we're just doing free entry ones. Um, and the prizing is going to be dependent on the game. Um, our first one we're starting with is a grand archive, uh, league. So that's the game that's coming out later this year. Um, that we're big fans of, and that's going to be run on Tabletop Simulator using all of the Prelude cards they've revealed so far. Um, and we're being provided five more Starfoil Festive Night Lorraine sample promo cards by the company. Um, one is going to go out to the person with the highest score at the end of the... Uh, it'll be a three-week league. Um, and then the other four will be raffled off to people, and everyone will earn entries based on their number of games they played. 
um, in the league. So you don't even have to win. You just come in, you just play some games. When you have time, find people to play with. Um, if you get in at least three games a week, you are going to have the max entries, and then um, we'll raffle off four of those promos to uh, people who played and, and took part. So, um, Killer setup. Yeah, it's. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and May's got all these commands you can use to look at your rank and and the leaderboards and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, we've just been working really hard at getting that. And, and uh, huge thanks to some of our um, Discord members who have been and, and our patrons too who have been helping us uh, test all that and um, get it up and and uh, convenient for everyone. Because sometimes when you're directly developing something, you you just don't like think about um, certain ways that users will interact with something. So it's been really nice to have people who've been helping with that too. Um, so uh, beyond that, so that was my, my really short um, shout out. To, uh, I, but, you know, I just wanted people to know because that's something really exciting that we're going to be starting for a variety of games soon. Um, maybe we'll do a Dragon Ball Super one and um, you can help me oh, come up with some cool prizing for that and everything. So, um, uh, but yeah, that's, other than that, I've been playing just a little bit of Magic. Um, had a, Two-headed giant, uh, Modern Horizons two tournament I played the other weekend, which is I love two-headed giant. It's a format that I think I wish more games could like implement well. Um, have you ever? Do you know about two-headed giant, Mike? You know what that is? Um, I'm familiar with Magic, not that card though. Oh, it's not. Well, I mean, I guess it was a card in in like Alpha. Um, two-headed giant is is one of the coolest types of formats for a card game. Where generally it's played, it's played uh, in tournament settings as a limited format. So you'll you'll play like sealed deck basically. Um, one one way that we always do it at pre-releases here locally. Um, at a pre-release, you and a partner will each get a pre-release kit, which will have like six packs in it. You open up all those packs, and that's one combined pool of twelve packs, um, plus your pre-release promos and stuff. And you build two decks out of your giant pool of cards, and then you play two-on-two games against people. So it's it's not two separate games. It's one game with two teams of two players each. Um, you cannot pay for each other's mana or anything, um, but you you have, you know, basically one board of creatures that are on either, either teams, either player's side in each team, and you attack and block together. So, like, I can attack the other team and then... Um, either partner can send a creature to block and that kind of stuff. And you have a shared life total of 30 life. Um, and it, it's, it ends up just being a lot of like, um, there's a lot of strategy in how you build the decks. Uh, should, you know, should we like both try and like create rushdown style aggro decks? Should we have one person play a little more control? One person push some more threat onto the board a little faster um, both play kind of mid-rangey, so you can like really, depending on your pool, especially in limited, you know, that's going to dictate a little bit of what you do. But you have a lot of a lot of leeway to kind of decide. We usually sit down and we'll like be like, okay, I think these this color combination looks good, and this one looks good, and then we'll start building those and go, nah, these weren't good. Give me the red stuff. I'm gonna try putting that in here. You take the blue, and then like you know, you just again like, work back and forth to come up with something. And then um, in the game, you're, there's a lot of just like. Uh, talking to each other. Okay, should we counter that spell or like, do we need to use removal right now on this thing or can we take the damage and just it it brings out again. I love that social aspect of TCGs and it's a the lot team of team aspect. Yeah, I love yeah, the it's, team aspect. It's all teamwork and it's all just like trying to come up and and we have had so many situations. I usually play with uh, the same partner every time one of our 
uh, patrons, uh, Randall Cummings is, is my usual two headed giant partner. And, um, we've both had so many times where, um, I've been like, yeah, no problem. Let's like, you know, just let it, let that thing resolve, let that creature exist. And he's like, no, like, <laughs> nope, no, we need to do that right. Kill this right now, or it's going to be a problem. And then it turns out, yeah, you were totally right. And we've had like a lot of vice versa situations on that too, where it's just the two heads combined, um, I feel like you tend to play like really good games of magic when, when there's two sides, two brains working on both sides to like come up with the best line of play each time. Um, and it, it, it ends up being a lot of like really tight and really fun games. And, and despite not doing well at that event, we had, um, I mean, I w- you would not believe the comebacks that we had on a couple of those games. They were, they were, we sat down after one of the games and said, that was probably the best game of magic we've ever played. Like, was just incredible, like fighting against all odds and then coming up with this like really like roundabout way of like, okay, if we can get them to ultimate their planeswalker, then we can use this to answer the ultimate thing that happens. And then we can use this creature land they're not thinking of to kill the planeswalker after we wrath the board with this thing. And like, you know, it's just, I wish more games had that, um, that kind of system in it. And, and I almost feel like Dragon Ball Super could do a two headed giant system. It's, Be nice. We, I, we have. I, I feel like it wouldn't take too many tweaks to the rules. Yeah, we have team play, which is really nice. Where you can get a team, where you get like two people on your team, you know, and and they do they call them team wars. You go to the events. The only thing is, is like once you're in the team wars, like basically it's like okay, I'm playing against someone, they're playing against someone, they're playing against someone, and then if I win, and then my partner wins, that's two of the three games. It sounds like with Magic, which I really like, and I kind of wish they could implement that in Super, is you're actually actively talking to your opponent. Like, you're actually strategizing with each other's games, and it's like, okay, hey, you should do this. You have a shared life total. Um, I think I'd like to see something like that in Super, where they could actually implement that, where it brings more of that team aspect. Because Team Wars is, high, like, very successful. Like, people love team wars because you know being part of a team that's awesome people want to be part of a team so i wish we kind of had more of that in in dragon ball super so um i don't know maybe oh maybe i can i'll you know somebody will think of something or i'll think of something we can go to bandai and just be like hey let's start (laughs) let's start implementing this let's start having this in tournaments let's start having the team wars maybe maybe mike you and i will brainstorm a a two-headed um who's a two-headed character in dragon ball super is there is there anyone who's got two heads i can't i can't think of anyone you got to have the right name for it though right the format name is most important so yeah. i don't know Fu- maybe it's no it's just called it's called it's called fusion right it's just yeah. called fusion format where you, you two format. fuse into one player right Wait, wait! Is fusion format already being taken by another game with Dragon Ball? Though uh, it, it, that's that's yeah. the fancy <laughs> thing. Like whatever. That's that's cool. But like Dragon Ball Super Fusion tournaments is what we need to we need to make a thing, Mike. So let's you and I let's brainstorm. Let's come up with a rule set and test it out, and then uh, okay. and then just if people like it, then you know then people can go. play those events. So oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, because I <laughs> we, we do we do need something like that. I like that'd be the fun. team aspect is huge. So. And hey, if if anyone has a good idea of how to do it, just leave it in the comments down below too. We we I totally don't care about the credit here. I just want to have like a cool format that people oh, yeah. can play. So that would be um, cool. 
Okay, so that's that's really all I got to say there. So Mike, Mike, I know all you want to do is talk about Dragon Ball Super here. So sure. um, let's jump in and talk about the state of Dragon Ball Super um, a little more than we've been talking about. And I, in my opinion, the perfect place to start is, um, especially given the so with the pandemic, a lot of card games, a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people felt a lot of card games were like dying or whatever, right? Sure. And um, I think that's something that every community has. It's talking about their individual card, like even magic has like people like, is magic dying? Like, no, it's, no. Not. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, no, no. and people say that about, about, um, Yu-Gi-Oh people say that about, uh, universes. People say that about Dragon Ball Super, um, and Dragon Ball Super just released a set called Realm of the Gods. Mike, what's your, what's your take is with, with Dragon Ball Super, is it dying and how's Realm of the Gods treating it? Uh, no, no. <laughs> 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 not even close. Like, uh, like at least locally, I can tell you, no, not even close. I mean, uh, one of the things that's really keeping Dragon Ball Super, well, I wouldn't want to say really keeping it alive, but definitely keeping it up there, um, is like we said at the beginning of the podcast, um, you have the three type of players, you have, or three type of people. You have players, collectors, and investors. And there's a lot of people that are collecting slash investing in the Dragon Ball Super product. And the biggest example I can tell you is this recent set, Realm of Gods. They released a new rarity. It's called God Rare. God Rare. And we're talking, this card is one out of, and there's so many debates on like how rare it is because it's more, you can't buy like a bulk of cases, right? Like you can't, you know how- well, You like, can't buy a case of cases where they're all like produced and collated together exactly so the rarity of the god rare is highly debated people are saying one out of four one out of six is that Um, is that cases not it's cases not boxes you're talking about right it's so rare that we just don't even know how rare it is yeah yeah that that's the thing we're talking cases not box so you could buy a case not get this guy and and a case because it can get very game to game a case in dragon ball super is is that six or twelve boxes well 12 boxes. Oh yes. my goodness. I couldn't remember because it's been a while, yeah. but like, wow, that is a rare card. Yeah. So you're looking at, um, yeah. Uh, when realm of gods first came out, you could get a case. Like I know our locals, we could get it for about 900 bucks. Um, and people just started picking up those cases going after that, uh, God rare Vegeta. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the God rare Vegeta, and that's, that's the, you know, I wish I had one to show you. I do not have one. Oh, come on, Mike. I didn't pull one. I know, I didn't pull one. Get out there. You got to buy more. I know, I got to buy more. Well, that's the problem. I can't. You can't find the product anywhere. (laughs) So, um, but, which is nice. You know, again, it's selling. But um, the God Rare now, I think, goes for like $1,700. So, literally, if you pull that God Rare, that not only pays for your case, like, everything else is just pure profit. And, um, yeah, people are getting the card graded and collectors are buying it because people love not just card games, but they love Dragon Ball Super stuff. I mean, look at my room. Like, they love they love collecting Dragon Ball Super stuff. And when, you know, the game is producing artwork, like, I have four different, oh, sorry, three different versions. Again, for those on audio, you're not seeing us. But three to three different art versions of the same card. All these cards do the same thing. 
three different art versions of uh, Goku Black Unforeseen Darkness. Um, it's just a huge, huge, huge collector's market um, for investors and collectors. So people are buying up these cards and they may not necessarily be playing in locals. And because Bandai really doesn't, um, one of the things is they don't do a lot of advertising. So um, you probably don't see commercials that say, hey, here's our new Dragon Ball Super card game. Try this. It's all like word of mouth. That's why it's kind of really important that especially like in my local community, I'm trying to get these collectors and these, you know, the investors I'm trying to, but these collectors and say, hey, you know, that that's pretty artwork. I know you collect Dragon Ball Super. You can also play with those cards and you can actually, you know, um, the card game's actually really, really fun to play. You should try playing it too. So do I think the Dragon Ball Super card game, you get a lot of people that are saying, hey, it's dying in my area. Yeah, your players, sure, but there's still a lot of collectors and there's still a lot of the and that and that keeps the game going. So Yeah, a, a game a, a TCG is is carried by two things. It's it's by the um in-store presence keeping players interested and it's by having an a, a, a strong collectors market. And and as, these days people also add investors in to the pool like you said because um, following the pandemic, investing in, investing in card games has become sort of a pastime for some people. Um, and the difference between the, these is that the players like the cards and like the game. The collectors like the cards and they either don't like the game or haven't tried the game. The investors don't like the cards and they don't like the game. They just want to make the money <laughs> off of it. Um, and uh, so I don't, I don't like to include investors necessarily in what keeps a game alive because if all you have is investors, then they don't have any value. The cards have literally no value. Um, because you got to have the collectors you have to have someone who likes the cards you know like at a base level in order for your game to like for people to care about your cards people have to like them in in some aspect if all a bunch uh, if a card game came on kickstarter and only invested invested into it then they're going to get the cards and go okay who wants to buy it and nobody does (laughs) so yeah i will um, say i will say though i have been trying to get hold of uh logan paul see if he can't wear like <laughs> one of one of the dragon ball super cards you know across his chest i know like he does that for pokemon i think he recently yep. he went to wrestlemania and he wore like a pikachu card yeah i was like oh yep. that card's worth a million dollars now right so i'm like <laughs> hey you know you want to wear one of my cards here why don't you try wearing some of these dragon ball super cards and then just mike if if you hear back let me know i'm, I'm excited oh, I know, right? <laughs> Get them, get them uh, stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so like I, I, you know, I think that's an interesting um, piece of advice for people who it's unfortunate. So I, a couple of things I want to talk about. The first thing is about card games advertising. Most card games don't. Um, it's it, there isn't a lot. And actually, I think Dragon Ball Super does more um, advertising than some games do where they, they make like YouTube videos that they, they show off every time there's like a new set or a new block in the case yeah. of the next one and everything. They have like these, these cool videos that, um, kind of showcase the cards and, and are really fun and exciting for people. And that's not something that every card game, some, some card games just say, Hey, there's a new set even, well, it actually took a while for magic to start doing that. Uh, magic does it now. Magic has huge productions every time they have a new set, um, that they, that they, including like, they have like soundtrack, a soundtrack for the next set, <laughs> like all sorts yeah. of like really interesting uh, things they're kind of throwing at the wall. But um, 
you know, not every card game just even does makes a video or anything. They just say there's a new set coming, and then the people who are into it are into it. Um, and word of mouth is is huge for uh, getting people into a card game. And one, so if if you're out there thinking like uh, we're like blasting you and saying you're wrong if you feel like the game's dying in your area, that's yeah. I don't think that's true because like like you were saying, Mike, um, it can totally be the case that players are have fallen off and. Um, that happened in our area with universes. We were just getting things going, um, getting really excited about it. My Hero Academia, we're all pumped up. Pandemic hit. Pandemic changed everything. Like maybe that's the actual theme of this podcast. Um, but uh, it's it is very easy for people to um, fall off when they don't have. Uh, for people like myself, especially that that social interaction with people, keeping them coming back week after week, month after month, whatever. Um, however often you're doing these. And um, people, a lot of people during the pandemic found online hobbies they like doing better. Um, yeah. And, and where where the community is always there, a lot of people got in Final Fantasy XIV, uh, you know, Guild Wars Two, other MMOs like that. Wow, people kind of left Wow, but you know, Wow is always its own thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Blizzard had plenty of troubles during that time, so <laughs> we're just going to leave that there. Um, and, uh, or, or, you know, other kind of online games, online communities, people were finding that they were enjoying, um, doing, and it's tough to get someone who just got into those communities to come back and play the game. It's certainly possible. Um, and, and, uh, I, I found that when we went to Gen Con last year and I was back into the social experience again, I was like, oh yeah, I love this. This is like, right? this, yeah. I, what, well, how did I forget how much I enjoyed everything about this? Um, and so you can definitely get some of your lapsed players to come back. But um, the unfortunate truth is that you probably are going to have to put in some amount of work yeah. um, to get a, a community that was once doing fine to thrive again. And it doesn't matter what card game you're talking about necessarily. The the one issue is that some stores, um, magic is the easiest one to get the community back in for because they just kind of have to go, we have tournaments again. And then everyone's like, cool. And they like come back. Um, the smaller card games tend to take a little more effort because the store doesn't see as much return right away unless they were really smart and ordered realm of the gods, apparently, which, yeah. is, um, <laughs> but, and the, see, this is where, this is where Bandai is helpful because once they, if they put out, I mean, I don't think realm of the gods and God rares was any sort of coincidence. Um, oh, it's, no, it's 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 a great way to get stores um, to go. Wow, that's a product I should have, huh? And um, get it on their shelves again, and start to get these local communities to have a to make it easier for them to get players back into the door. So players have to do less work. Um, but if you're working on a small card game, a smaller card game, not small, but a smaller card game, and you're trying to get your player base going, um, you do kind of have to do a little bit of Hey bud, we're getting back and we're playing again. You should you should totally come. I got a deck for you. I've been buying the new stuff. Come on and play. And going after collectors is a smart uh, tactic too. Trying to find the people who are buying all this Realm of the Gods product and being like, you you know, since you bought it all, do you want to try the game? Like maybe you'll enjoy it or something. Absolutely. Um, because it's an untapped it's an untapped area in a lot of ways for and that applies to every card game as well. But Bandai card games in particular are very collectible um just because yeah. of the way that they make their their cards and their art they have a really good eye for um just making cards that people want regardless of kind of what the text is on them right yep 
There's some cards that are valuable just because they look good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so Mike, with uh, the you know with everything kind of ramping up again, you're getting some more paper play and everything. Um, has how has the game been doing uh, as far as like a you, from a play perspective? We're talking balance. We're talking bannings of cards, that kind of stuff. Why don't you just talk about where the game is at right now? Well, I, I actually, um, when you mention that, um, there one of the things with the Bandai card game is it is made uh, a lot of the cards. My understanding is they're made over in Japan, and when they m- translate the cards over here within the states, sometimes there's some punctuations and wordings that can get kind of confusing. Um, which I know you're kind of smirking and laughing. Uh, I know what you're talking about. about. Yeah, like the recent thing when it came to, there were quite a few cards, uh, like the Ultimate Dragon Bullet. Like I don't even know the name of the card because it didn't even matter until one person was like, oh, hey, you can play this card uh, when they don't play a unison and they can only attack one more time per turn because it just says counterplay. And there's because there's no colon here, I can do this, 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 and this. And, um... Yeah, first off, kudos to our judges because they were put in an incredibly difficult situation. And Dan, I know you were a judge, and this is a tough one. Like, what would you do here? You either had, um, uh, you either go, okay, I'm going to interpret this card as in what I think Bandai is trying to say here, or. I'm gonna. I got to interpret this card exactly how it says, and this is the way it's gonna be. And either way, you're going to be the player base is gonna be upset with you. Absolutely. And th- I, that, in that situation, by the way, I would go with the strict wording of the card um, and pass the buck to Bandai because at least I can yep. say, you know what? It's not my fault they worded it that way. <laughs> yep. And that was tough because you had some judges that were like, no, there's no way it can work that way. We got to do it this way because if you do it this way, that it just destroys the whole game. Both um, are correct is the both, issue. Yeah. Is, that, is that the wording, you need, to, you need to do the strict interpretation. However, it's very clear that's not what they intended the card to do. Exactly. So both sides yeah. are correct. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't fault anyone for taking either, but I would go with the strict interpretation. Yeah. So uh, kudos to our judges, especially David. David reached out to Bandai. That was awesome. I mean, was right on top of it, literally. Fashbinder? Yep, right. yep, absolutely. He was right on top of it. And I think mean, it was literally like two days. Um, I kind of wish I was there when he had that conversation with him. Like, hey, now, because we had an <laughs> event coming up. And it's like, we need to fix this now. We need answers now. So um but yeah, kudos to the community on that. Right now, I feel like um, you have some strong decks, like, you know, King Piccolo, and, you know, everyone's playing the Yellow Trunks deck, and, you know, Gogeta Black, everyone's playing that style of deck. But I really feel like right now, I personally feel the format is very open. Like, there are rogue decks that can do really, really well. Um Green, I think, is really suffering. I think green needs something. Um, it does have hand destruction, but um, when uh, aggro can literally beat it, like in two, three, turn two, turn three, 
um, which Bandai has tried, like they've really tried to errata and ban cards that can do that. You know, obviously, I mean, if you look at their ban list, anything that can potentially win that quick, they, they want to get rid of. Um, but uh, it is Dragon Ball Super, and it's all about going Super Saiyan and Super Saiyan 2 and Super Saiyan God. Everyone's trying to go to that next level, and I'm going to beat you in turn 2 or turn 1 or... You get a lot more of that aggressive stuff in the Dragon Ball Super card game. Um, me, I'm a control player. You know, I like to, like, you know, I'll play with you till turn five and then good game, we're done. Then I'm gonna, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I overall, I think right now the state of the game when it comes to the actual cards, I mean, I think things are going really well. There, there's a few cards, you know, that I could potentially see that they're getting rid of. Um, like there's this new with the new engine coming out for GT. There's this red card. Uh, it's a zero cost. I forget the name of it. It's got a picture of Jiren on it. It's a counter attack, and you can uh, minus one marker from your unison. For every marker that you minus and off the unison, uh, you can neg a battle card by negative five thousand. And with the new GT card coming out. Um, I probably just gave out a bunch of spice. People are like, wait, what? And they're sitting there taking <laughs> notes. But with the new GT card coming out, literally it it's a unison card that can't attack, but you build a bunch of markers on it. Like you get it's super easy. Turn three, four, you're gonna get like seven, ten, thirteen markers on the card. And then all of a sudden you just play, you know, you could easily play that counterattack and go, Oh, you comboed to a hundred and or well, it would be before the combo step because you negate, but I mean it's it's a free negate, and you could take out like an, a big eight nine drop battle card. And in worse, it goes through indestructible because it's negging the card. Mm, so, sure. yeah. So uh, bad for my deck. So yeah, Bandai ban that card. <laughs> get rid <laughs> of it. You get to play it first. You get That's to play right, it first. Yeah. yeah. But then, um, then they ban it. Yeah. Um, so actually, you you brought up something I really wanted to to talk about. Um, because so it was like maybe a, a couple a couple of years ago that they um, they started their new format for releasing uh, sets in series, right? They initially, before this, it was just booster set, booster set, booster set, like whatever. Um, and then they began a series format, which is like a super, super extended magic block format where magic used to do three set blocks. The Unison Warrior series has gone on for like, I mean, they had the boost. They, they had it like halfway through, then they made it like the Unison Warrior boost Warrior series boost, yeah. and then too. Um, but it's been like seven or sets or something, or eight sets or something of, of um, Unison Warrior stuff. But like the uh, they introduced, the big change in the game was they introduced these Unison cards. And Unison cards are like um, pr- fairly interesting card types where they, they sort of act like a, a Planeswalker does, was the first comparison people made in Magic, um, where they, they come in with a number of counters and then each turn you can use an ability on them to uh remove or i can't remember if they put it add abilities add counter abilities on usins too do they yeah. do that okay, yeah add or can. add or remove yep yep um but they're also battle cards that in a way too where they can you can attack with them right yeah. um and so that's yeah i mean what's your retrospective here mike after now now that we've seen we've got the last unison warrior set coming very soon which is called ultimate squad if i yep. remember right um and now you've gotten to see basically another, they're even doing previews for that now. So you've basically gotten to see everything that they were kind of doing to work unisons into the game. 
How do you feel about the addition of unisons to the game? How has the game changed? And um, do you do you like them being in the game compared to how the game was? Absolutely. Um, uh, it just adds a whole new dynamic to the game. Um, really, really, really powerful abilities. At first, they were really overpowered, I thought. Um, like, a lot of them just had really OP abilities. Like, once you got the unison out, it's like, nope, nope, this unison stuck out here. You can't get rid of it. Um, now, like, there's cards that can get rid of unison markers. Um, actually get rid of the unison card entirely. Like, there's an SCR card. Literally just gets rid of the the entire unison um but they've also added support to unison cards like they have a new effect called empower uh they call it uh, like empower three and what that means is so if i have a unison card out with uh three markers on and then i play a new unison card if it has empower three it actually carries over three markers from that old unison card so when i play the new one get the three and then the addition so They've added a lot of really cool features to Unison, and I think that's why they took so long with the Unison boost, or, like, with the Unison saga. Um, And then also the exciting thing is, is two sets from now, they're adding a new area. Um, Rumor is it's some sort of, like, evolve onto your leader for a turn. Like, so normally in the Super Card game, you know, your leader will awaken or flip over essentially to a more powerful version well they're actually going to be implementing a new way where you can even go beyond that that's kind of the rumor with that that's that's a rumor though we do do we do we know for sure that that's what that new card zone is or related related? it's related they did a video over it they did a teaser video over it yeah and um they talk about something going over your uh leader card like sure. there's video so it's really if you got you got to see the video it's it's really cool but i know another thing that they really tried to do with the unison format is they kind of wanted to test um and they were going to do this at the dbs festival they oh, were yeah. going this was to a test, huge controversy <laughs> yeah huge controversy they were going to test um hey you're only going to do the unison warrior card so all your older cards you know um, we, we were just going to do that format, which I thought, like, I liked it in the aspect of it's a new way to play the Dragon Ball Super Card game, which I really wish we had more of, because with Magic, for example, you could take your Magic cards, and how many different ways are there to play a Magic card game? Like, I mean, you've got Commander, so many. So I was actually like, okay, this is cool. It's DBS Fest. Like, we're trying to get new players in. This is not a competitive... I could understand if this was competitive. Like, if we were going to be doing this for, like, a big level, like, hey, this is a national event. So, no, this was literally just an event, celebrate the card game, give out really cool prizes, and to get new players into the game, which I think was a really good idea. Um, However, we found out that... um, I don't know... I don't know if they did a poll officially, but we do know that the loudest players... The most passionate players, definitely. I don't want to say, you know, negative, but the most passionate did not, 100%, did not want rotation. And I understand that. I don't I don't want rotation either. I love the fact that, especially when um, they came out with, uh, trying to remember the name of the set, and they, they literally, Mythic Boosters, I think is what it was, that they released older cards and reprinted them. 
Uh, I thought they went about that wrong, though, because if you look at the value of those boxes, they went, they plummeted. I feel like they should have mixed that in with some of the new stuff. Don't make a dedicated set for that. Like, no, don't, don't do that. Like, literally, if they wanted to do that, they could hit two birds with one stone. If they would have put in, hey, we're going to put a few of these reprint cards in with the new pretty artwork and foils for the collectors and the player base and update any, you know, errata or band text. I think Pokemon does that. And mixed it in with that god rare for everyone to hunt. You, you've just hit two birds with one stone because now you're releasing a bunch of product, which means those cards that no one wants, new players can then get into the guard game because you've released the old product to them. You got the collectors and those going after the god rare. They should have implemented those new release cards in the new sets, not make a dedicated set to it. That's oh, the reprinting thing you're talking about is something that is definitely done in other card games. I'm going to once yeah. again reference Magic because they've been doing this pretty well with some of their recent releases. There's certainly plenty of uh, cards that are due for a reprint to lower the, the cost of entry on them, um, such as like Dockside Extortionist and stuff for our Magic players. But, um, you know, one one thing they do that I think has been tempering prices of things in a in a pretty controlled way is they have these it's on the on the negative side it's really confusing to buy boosters for magic now because they have draft boosters and they have set boosters and collector boosters and everything but in these set boosters they have this thing called the list and about every three or so packs of set boosters you're on average you're going to hit a card from the list which is like a 300 card or so list of random old cards that they reprint exactly as they were printed before, but with a little mm. planeswalker stamp in the corner. Um, and which is really, it confuses new players so often they like pull a card and they're like, this is, this isn't supposed to be in the set. And they don't realize cause all the only indication that it's a weird, that it's a special thing is that tiny planeswalker stamp in the very bottom yeah. corner of the border. Um, and uh, so it's a little confusing for that, but the list is this curated list of, like I said, about 300 cards in every set. They drop a bunch of cards from it and they add a bunch of cards to it. Um, and so like your odds of hitting any individual card from the list aren't great, um, yeah. which means that the this not going to take Umazawa's GTA or something and just completely destroy the price of it. But it is going to add a chunk of them back into the system, into the ecosystem to, to go around and... Um, you know, those will exist in the list for usually a couple of sets and then they'll just start rotating out and they, they usually do pretty cute things. They put in very thematic cards. So with Kamigawa, they put in some like Umazawa's Jite and Sensei's Divining Top and some of these popular old Kamigawa themed cards that were valuable, um, as well as a smattering of old Kamigawa themed cards that were not at all valuable, just like, you know, random it up. Cards. Yeah, you got to mix it up. Can't put everything valuable in there. But exactly, yeah. because I think that's what you're saying. The issue with the Mythic Booster is it's just, if if everything is valuable as a reprint, then none of it is, because you every pack you open is just, oh, good, I got more of these cards. <laughs> and like, yep, I, exactly. So you have way too many of them. Um, I want to just comment on the Fest situation from my point of view. Uh, as someone who isn't ingrained in Dragon Ball Super, but just keeps up um, and watches from the sidelines, um, everything going on there, I think there are. Um, I, I think the main issue, the main problem with the Fest and Unison only format that they announced, was not at all the format, not at all the event. It was 
actually the fact that it was the like only major paper event they had announced in years. Yeah. Right. Year, a year and a half or whatever. Um, and for their return to paper um, play it, this, this would effectively be like if, um, if uh, magic announced, here's the first paper event in a long time. It's called only the last two sets of magic are allowed format. And, and then everyone would look at that and go, okay, like that could be a cool format, but that's not like the only thing you're going to play now. Right. Is that like, are you only going to make us buy the last two sets? And then, and it would be disconcerting for a number of people. Now I think there's an amount of trust that people have in wizards where they wouldn't necessarily jump to that conclusion just because wizards has supported so many formats for so long. Um, but uh, when when a game, people have been on the edge about Dragon Ball Super, like um, being worried that they're going to do a, ro- a number of people worried that they're going to do rotation, a number of people hoping they do rotation, like yeah. you can't write those people out also. Um, and just the fact that they announced a return and they and they pushed this specific format for that. I think you're totally right, Mike. I think it was intended to just be a fun event to get people into the game where it's a lower barrier to get in. You just play this format, you get to shake it up a little bit. Um, but it kind of needed to be alongside their like main format that people have been playtesting and, and playing for and, and hoarding, collecting cards for and everything for years and not just the only thing, um, that was announced. And here's, here's what I think is the Bandai maybe needs to be thinking about going forward is that, um, so you mentioned that they they do pretty strict bannings to keep like turn two kills to be not yeah. very common. However, they do happen, right? Still, yeah, um, oh yeah. And and the fact is, um, and I can't remember if we talked about this in a previous podcast with one of my other hosts, or if I we talked about it after the podcast. It might have been something that didn't make it into the the actual recording, but. Dragon Ball Super and a lot of card games that aren't doing any sort of rotation end up falling into the situation where the power creep becomes a little untenable at some point where the game, if you, if you were an original like launch Dragon Ball Super player versus Dragon Ball Super now, the pacing is very different than it was at launch because it kind of just crept to that point where it's the game has become fairly fast um, compared to how it was right away. A lot of people really cite that set two format, if I recall, as like their favorite format um, based on the pace of the game and the deck variety that was available back then. And the fact is, if there's a lot of players who want the game to be in that slower pace, until a rotation is something that's implemented, it's not possible. Yeah. And here's here's why. It's because the instant they try and pull and hit the brakes on their power level and make a set that like reduces the power level a little bit so that um, all the new decks aren't just continuing to push the envelope on as far as like power and speed that set doesn't sell at all because it's just i mean collectors we have the collectors which is nice but you don't get the player half of things because the cards just aren't very good and um in in and that's because they're in this they're being put into this full tapestry of the card game where they're compared against everything. The advantage to a rotating format is that, and this is something that I don't, I don't put out here as theory and speculation. I put out here as evidenced by magic, the gathering standard history, because magic has gone through a number of periods of time where they have a super powerful block. And then the next set there back in when they did blocks, but they did super powerful sets 
uh, Throne of Eldraine being the most recent one. And then the next sets are not just not as powerful, just not as not as good. Um, and it's only once Throne of Eldraine is able to rotate out in that example that you start looking at some of those cards from those those less powerful sets and go, wait, hey on, these are playable now. This is like actually pretty good. In and this this all kind of works together. Um, and the advantage of a rotating format is that you're able to pump the brakes a little bit so often to go, okay, okay, we don't need to keep pushing. Just because Throne of Eldraine was strong, we don't need the next six sets to be just as strong. We can go, let's let's pull back a little bit. Let's like, we, we made a few mistakes there. Let's try and just like make sure we don't break anything for a couple of sets. Are they going to sell as well? Not quite, but the it's a it's playing the long game because then after rotation then those sets go actually these are pretty good and then you can continue to be printing at that slightly lower power level and and if you imagine this we're just talking about like a, a line graph where it goes up and then down a little and then a and then a, a lower slope and then down a little and a lower slope down a little that's what you get to do when you rotate is you get to do that cuz otherwise you just you do a lower a drop in power level and then just nobody buys it and, yeah. and and then your card game isn't doing well at all because that's important for a card game. That's why, the, and that goes back to where how Magic has so many different ways to play, like the different yep. formats and stuff. That's where I wish, I think it's an opportunity in the Dragon Ball Super card game where it's like, okay, um, we can introduce that Unison Warrior Black format. Um, I understand with a lot of players, a lot of competitive players, like I, I know myself and I'm with them. Like, you know, when it comes to the competitive aspect of the game, regionals, nationals, like they're like, listen, we don't want rotation. Get that out of here. You need all, you know, you need all the cards. I can understand that. And, you know, to be honest, I would say, yeah, let's, let's stick with that. But I think if we can introduce even locals, like you know here's the unison warrior format uh the unison warrior tournament or just an easier way for new players to get in um i think we got a really good start with re-releasing some of the really good cards for mythic boosters the problem is i don't know if they're going to continue that due to how the value literally went down so unless they're going to start reprinting some of the cards in the other set i would really like to see some other ways to play the game um, just so we can get some of these new players in for sure um, and, and really help grow the community. I think one of the issues with introducing a bunch of formats for smaller card games is dividing the player base. Yeah. Um, and that is that is one of the strongest arguments you can bring up for not doing that. Um, however, I don't think that's the like an end-all argument. I think it's yeah. quite possible to introduce variety formats and cause it to grow the player base on its own, like you're saying. Um, so that's my, if anyone's listening to that and going, but, but it can't support it. That's my response to you, I guess, which is that like, (laughs) I, I, it, it has to be done correctly, of course. And the way they did it with the fest was just not the way to do it. Um, No, agreed. Yeah, that was bad. However, um, I, I think I would, I would encourage people who are anti-rotation at least to consider, um, the benefits of having a variety formats that people can play. And, and I think it's important that the main you know, there's still a a competitive format where everything is everything goes right, and they just have their ban list and they follow that because that's that's what people like. Um, and and the thing is about about these games, we're going back to the very beginning, which I love doing a little full full circle here. Mm-hmm. Archetypal design games. Um, the issue is that when you rotate, you can sometimes cause cards that you print 
to have absolutely no meaning. Imagine if, you know, in, in, in the full um, card game, those that red GT support, really good or useful. You know, you can actually do something with it, right? If it's Unison Warrior only format, is did, is there even anything really for that to to latch onto and do anything with? I'm not sure. It's a yeah. conceit. It's a concession, right? That you have to make, I guess. But um, I think there are advantages to having a variety of formats, and um, I would I think I would like to see for the health of Dragon Ball Super um, them to sort of in a correct way push trying to do that sort of block series series only format as a side thing that people can jump in on and play maybe design a little bit focused on that being a thing. Um, but, uh, it would be really great to see the game get to the point where what magic gets to do in their high level events is they say, um, you know, there's, this event is going to be a pioneer format. This event's going to be standard. This event's going to be modern and nobody gets like, upset really not i mean not a a significant amount of people get upset because they just go okay well uh i don't want to play in the pioneer one but i'll go play in the modern one um and they just have those options available to them and again this just goes back to the problem with the fest was you didn't have options right it was just you better like unison warrior only format and there was no lead up there was no preparation if at the start of the pandemic they said hey when we get back to paper there's going to be a fest where you can play Unison Warrior only, and they're still going to be the regular format. Then people might have had no issues with it because they would have been like, oh, they said this was going to happen. I've been practicing my Unison series uh, format, so I was ready for this, and I'm not worried because they said there's going to be the original format. But yeah, you you can't just say, here's the return to the game, and it's this format you've never done before, and um, we have no guarantee it's going to not be the only format going forward. Absolutely. So, um, Mike, I, you know, I, I think we've, we're kind of gone over our time limit here, so we're, we're going to call sure. here, but I think we, I think we talked about a lot of good stuff here and, oh, um, for sure. I think we're, we're feeling good about Dragon Ball Super going forward. Um, oh, and agreed. I, I, I think their God rare thing is, is showing that they still have it. You know, they, they still got what it takes to get people into purchasing packs and, and collectors are huge on Dragon Ball Super. Um, if your locals are suffering, uh, you know, there's, I think there's things that you can do. There's things Bandai can do and there's things you can do, um, to help, uh, get the game back going again. But if you love the game, just get out there and play and show people. And that certainly won't hurt. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, the Bandai, I'll tell you now, uh, they're, they're actually making a third game. So we, we've well, got, yeah, the Dragon we Ball talked Super about one game. piece as well. Yep. Yeah. Dragon Ball super. They got digital. Now they're making one piece. I don't think that any of those card games are going anywhere. Anytime soon. They're, they they know what they're doing um but yeah just go find your collectors like i literally went to my uh, locals and i said oh hey so he bought two cases of realm of god's gone and that was before the price spike and i was like whoa okay uh so who bought those and it's like uh let's next time they come in and ask for product let them know we're starting tournaments up let's get them in here they can tr- even if they even if they don't play just getting them in to like trade cards or buy cards or stuff. There's the fish hook right there. And then you just get them in. Oh, Hey, you want to learn how to play? got all those cards and yeah. There you go. Sage advice. Well guys, um, that's going to do it for this episode of the main deck podcast. Episode 16 is coming to a close here. And before we shout, uh, before we shut it down, I want to shout out to our patrons who have been, Helping keep main deck going. Really appreciate you guys. Names are going to appear on the screen on the YouTube video right now. 
Um, our patrons are awesome. And if you want to support the main deck podcast, if you like this kind of stuff, and if you want to get in on some of the really cool goodies, we have like a, a really cool play mat that um, is exclusive to our patrons that you'll be able to earn this year by supporting us that features Super Saiyan Trunks, the cool uh, future one from the Zamasu arc, who's my favorite one. Um, and also features Lorraine from Grand Archive, a little crossover, a little fun playmat for you. If you um, are interested in checking that out or just the other goodies we have on Patre Patreon, including discounts for our merch, check out our Patreon link down below. Um, and uh, otherwise, thank you guys so much for supporting. Thank you all for listening. Um, and thank you, Mike, for coming on again. It was really great to talk to you. Absolutely. Look forward to some deck profiles and showing you some of my spice. And I got some good spice to share. So, uh, all right, Been we're going to get spicy in here. I like it. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. See you guys. See ya.